In today's brief, we'll talk about Ukraine joining NATO and other Russian catastrophes. I'm Yulia, and today is Thursday, July 13, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief Podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine, from the front. The bodies of 19 Ukrainian service personnel who died in Russian captivity were returned to Ukraine. Oleg Kotenko, the commissioner for missing persons, did not specify when it became possible to return the bodies, but did mention the, quote, unfortunate examples of captivity and interrogations that the Russians continue to commit against Ukrainian prisoners of war, POWs. Back on July 10th, Ukrainian forces attempted to regain lost positions near Vodyana, but met a Russian advance from the opposite direction. Russian forces reportedly deployed 21 armored vehicles in at least three assault units, with tanks attempting to suppress Ukrainian fire while demolishing recaptured Ukrainian fortifications. None of it did the Russians much good, and the Ukrainian 110th Mechanized Brigade managed to hold their positions. Using artillery, fire, and drones, Ukrainian forces destroyed multiple Russian tanks and armored fighting vehicles, and eliminated around 200 Russian soldiers during the firefight. The failed Russian advance has been called, quote, the most disastrous Russian attack since Vuhledar, end quote. In this case, however, Russian forces were unable to advance a single inch. Andriy Kovalev, spokesman for the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, GSAFU, reported that Ukrainian troops continue to conduct offensive operations on the northern and southern flanks of Bakhmut, in Donetsk, and have had, quote, some success, end quote, south of the city. Next up, the home front. Zaporizhia, Kherson, Kharkiv, Donetsk, and Cherkasy oblasts were shelled on July 11th, resulting in two dead and at least 12 injured. Russian forces launched 15 Shahed-136-131 drones at Ukraine overnight, between the 11th and 12th, of which Ukrainian air defense intercepted 11. Russian forces shelled more than 10 northeastern settlements with mortar and artillery on the 12th, including Chernihiv, Sumy, and Kharkiv regions. Another 15 settlements were shelled in the Donetsk and Luhansk areas, and more than 20 settlements were struck by artillery in the Zaporizhia, Dnipropetrovsk, and Kherson regions. Major Russian logistics hubs in Tokmak and Berdyansk both in Zaporizhia Oblast, were hit, causing serious damage and reportedly killing Lieutenant General Alek Tsokov, the deputy commander of the Southern Military District. Reportedly, Russian military command were staying at the Hotel Dune in Berdyansk and for no good reason concentrated their troops in the area. Major General Ivan Popov allegedly tried to warn General Gerasimov that there was a possibility of Ukrainian forces targeting said troop concentrations, but rather than make tactical changes, Gerasimov fired Popov. In a definitely unrelated incident, the Hotel Dune was targeted by Ukrainian fire. Some sources speculate that the former Major General Popov leaked the location to Ukrainian forces himself, 
the drama. Speaking of poor tactical decisions, let's talk about the Russian Federation. According to Ukraine war infographics, the Russian Federation has suffered nine times more losses during the 500 days of full-scale war against Ukraine than in the USSR's 10 years of war in Afghanistan. Russian Chief of Staff General Valery Gerasimov appeared on Russian state TV on Monday, according to the UK Defense Ministry. Which, we're kind of upset with Ben Wallace, the defense minister, for saying he's not Amazon, because... Had he been Amazon, F-16s would already be in Ukraine. Two days prime shipping. General Sergei Suravikin still hasn't been seen in public since the weekend rebellion and is, according to a Russian source, quote, taking a rest, end quote. Quick sidebar, okay, but is he expected to wake up? Moving on to European news. President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, stated upon her arrival in Vilnius that she is convinced that Ukraine will move quickly through the EU accession process if the current pace of reforms continues, saying, quote, The speed at which Ukraine is advancing in EU membership is amazing. It's impressive. It's a merit-based process, and we see the enthusiasm and the intensity with which Ukraine is reforming and thus advancing rapidly towards EU membership. End quote. Turkey's president, Recep Erdogan, who had been preventing Sweden from joining NATO, stated on July 11th the Turkish parliament would take up the issue. On July 12th, however, he said Sweden needed to take more steps to gain the Turkish parliament's approval and that it would not take up the matter until October 2023, even though it's in session until July 27th. According to the New York Times, quote, Sweden has amended its constitution, hardened its anti-terrorism laws, dropped an embargo on arms exports to Turkey, and agreed to extradite a small number of people Turkey requested. But Swedish courts have blocked other extraditions, and Swedish officials have said they cannot override their country's freedom of expression laws to block public protests that have included burning the Quran. The protests have infuriated Turkey. End quote. If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. In news worldwide. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and U.S. President Joe Biden met in Vilnius, Lithuania, during the NATO summit for bilateral talks. Zelensky reported on social media that it was, quote, a very good, powerful meeting with Mr. President Biden. The meeting was at least twice as long as planned, and it was as meaningful as it needed to be. If the protocol had not stopped the meeting, we would have talked even longer. All the topics. Long-term support weapons, politics, NATO, we clearly see how to end this war with our common victory, end quote. Um, Mr. President Zelensky, if I may ask, did you borrow Trump's speechwriter for this one? It was a perfect conversation.
NATO released a 90-paragraph communique at the Vilnius summit, which welcomed Finland as the newest member of NATO and noted, quote, Looking forward to welcoming Sweden into the alliance. President Zelensky said on July 12th that Ukraine should receive an invitation to NATO when security measures allow for it, end quote. The NATO document also issued harsh language in several paragraphs blaming the Russian Federation for the war in Ukraine. While Ukraine was not explicitly invited to join NATO, the requirement for Ukraine to complete the membership action plan, MAP, was removed. And while the summit decision doesn't include a specific list of conditions to be fulfilled by Ukraine, the mechanism for their assessment is defined and already available to Ukraine. The annual national program, ANP, will be used to monitor reforms implemented by Ukraine. Zelensky celebrated the result, saying, quote, I think by the end of the summit, we have great unity from our leaders and the security guarantees. That is a success for the summit. I think so. It's my opinion. End quote. Some assessment here. It's Zelensky's job to ask for as much as possible. He has a domestic audience to consider, which is currently the victim of genocide. At the same time, the United States, the largest backer of Ukraine, must maintain its support for Ukraine while playing a potentially dangerous diplomatic game due to Russia's status as a nuclear-armed state. To prevent, quote, escalation, end quote, the U.S. and its allies have adopted a clear strategy since the full-scale invasion. Zelensky asks for something for the war, the United States balks. Officials leak to Western news outlets their frustrations. A Ukrainian ally, often the UK, will send a version of what Zelensky is asking, see Commander 2 main battle tanks, Storm Shadow long-range missiles, etc., which opens the door for the United States to finally send what Ukraine is asking for. The United States is engaged in what's called two-track diplomacy, where secret back channels remain open with Russia. While NBC News reported, for example, that the point of the talks is to discuss a resolution to the war, we believe that the U.S. is likely sensing weakness in the Putin regime and is trying to establish a relationship with whomever succeeds him as well. We doubt that the carefully choreographed leaks to the media, the release of new weaponry, and the public pronouncements aren't done in coordination with and by the government of Ukraine. As is often the case, we will only discover the true extent of Allied cooperation many years or even decades after the war is over. According to the UK government, the G7 countries, those would be the United States, Japan, Germany, France, the United Kingdom, Italy and Canada, as well as the European Union as a so-called non-enumerated member, have prepared long-term security guarantees for Ukraine, stating, quote, The joint declaration expected to be signed by all members of the G7 will set out how allies will support Ukraine over the coming years to end the war and deter and respond to any future attack. It is the first time that this many countries have agreed to a comprehensive long-term security arrangement of this kind with another country. End quote. Fun fact. The economies of California, Texas, and New York are all individually larger than Russia's. 
After signing the declaration, the G7 members are expected to announce more security assistance, such as more extensive and rapid intelligence sharing, and support to combat cyber attacks and hybrid threats. Hybrid threats are a combination of military and non-military threats. Think cyber attacks and disinformation campaigns. Expanded training programs for the Ukrainian military and development of the industrial sector in Ukraine. Finally, let's talk military tech. The UK announced on July 12th that it will, quote, immediately deliver more aid to Ukraine, including 50 million pounds, about 65 million US dollars, in equipment support, as well as, quote, thousands of rounds of Challenger 2 main battle tanks, MBTs, ammunition, more than 70 tracked combat reconnaissance vehicles, CVRTs, and armored fighting vehicles, AFVs. For a little more background info, CVRTs are less heavily armored than tanks and are designed primarily for transport, but they have tank-like tracks instead of wheels. Based on the description, we expect Ukraine to receive Samaritan armored ambulances, Samson armored recovery vehicles to rescue and retrieve damaged CVRTs and other armored vehicles, and variants of the Spartan and or Sultan armored ammunition transporters. Oleksiy Reznikov, Ukraine's Minister of Defense, reportedly said that the use of cluster munitions will be a game-changer for Ukraine. According to Politico, Reznikov rejected the disapproval of some countries and humanitarian groups over the U.S. government's decision last week to supply the controversial weapons to Ukraine, stressing that their use will be restricted to non-urban areas within Ukraine, and Ukraine's partners will be informed about both the use and the effect of cluster munitions. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese announced a new military aid package that will reportedly include 30 Bushmaster armored personnel carriers. Norway committed to sending 1,000 Black Hornet drones to Ukraine, according to Norwegian Defense Minister Bjorn Arild Gram. Black Hornets are very small drones, classified as nanodrones, weighing in at about 32 grams and are used for reconnaissance and target identification. Norway will also provide a NASEMS support package, including two additional fire control centers, two launchers, and spare parts. After weeks of negotiations, the German government declined to open a maintenance center in Poland for Leopard tanks transferred to Ukraine. According to German media outlet Handelsblatt, the reason for the decision was the inflated price expectations from the Polish side. The United States has reportedly spent at least $77.6 billion on support for Ukraine between January 24, 2022 and July 12, 2023. Of that, total military spend is $47.4 billion, or about 5.5% of the defense budget. The remainder has been spent on humanitarian and financial assistance. Congress has appropriated $113 billion in assistance for Ukraine since the full-scale invasion began. Under U.S. law, the executive branch must spend all $113 billion, leaving President Biden $35.4 billion more to spend by the end of the fiscal year. 
The New York Times reported that, according to unnamed U.S. and European sources, discussions are taking place in the White House regarding the possible transfer of Atakums long-range missiles to Ukraine. Similar to HIMARS, Atakums are precision missile systems, but they are far longer range, up to about 300 kilometers. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please, consider supporting our work on Patreon. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. До побачення!